0: We are in week number four, Standing Strong in the Storm. And this will be our last week in this short little series. Today I want to talk to you about being steady in the storm. Say that with me, steady in the storm. Say it one more time, everybody, you're declaring it over your life. Steady in the storm. We'll take our text again from... Hebrews chapter 12, which is where we were last week, and those first three verses say this, therefore, and remember in chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews gives us that great list of Noah, um, Abraham, Sarah, the prophets, and he talks about all those people in the Bible that God did miraculous things in their life. All the great Bible stories, those characters are listed and then chapter 12 opens up. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with this word, endurance, endurance, the race, God has set before us. Verse two, how do we do this? How do we run this race? In light of all the persecution that was breaking out in that early first century Jewish community, many were considering leaving their newfound Christian faith and going back to Judaism. The writer says we got to run the race God's called us to run. And here's how we do it. Verse two, we do this by... Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The author and finisher. And then this, this little tag in the B part of verse 2. Because of the joy awaiting him, he, Jesus, endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now this is week 4. Week 1, we looked at Matthew chapter Seven, verse 24, the closing of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Everybody, he built his house on the rock. The person who hears the word and then obeys the word is wise. And their house, their family, their life is steady on a rock. Week number two, we looked at Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus walked out on the water and met the disciples. And um, they thought he was a ghost. And oftentimes the way God moves in storms, it's spooky and scary, even to his children. And then Jesus realized that they were in fear and he said, be not afraid, it's me, I'm here. And Peter said, if that's really you, then let me get a word from you. I want to come near you. And that's what a good word, a good sermon does. It draws us nearer to Christ. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat. And we learned several things that in that, in that week, I just want to remind you, Matthew 14, week two, that God knows all about your storm. He meets you in that storm. And he calls you to listen to him in the storm so you can get close to him in the storm. And then number three, fix your eyes. Stay focused on him and not the storm. Last week, we talked from Hebrews 12, this same text. And we talked about running with endurance the race as we just read. And we talked about fixing our eyes on Jesus and the fact that that word look at him It also includes a command to look away from one thing and look to another. It is stop looking at everything else and look at Jesus. So we said to be able to stand in the storm, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. And number two, we said we've got to listen to Jesus. As you fix your eyes on Jesus, you are looking at the word. You fix your eyes on the word and then have your ears open what you see, what God says to you when you're fixed on the word. And then lastly, last week, we talked about this, doing hard things. Learn from Jesus' example. It said, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. And here we are in week number four, still in Hebrews 12. And I just want to remind you what it teaches us. We are in a marathon. We have to endure. It's a long race. It's not a sprint. You run a long race by keeping, this long race by keeping your eyes on Jesus. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. And we understand that sometimes we're called to do hard things so that we can enjoy the greater things. We endure the hard stuff, to be qualified, hear me, to experience the miraculous stuff. And that's what we talked about. And this morning, I just, I want to go a little deeper and I have such a clear, simple raiment. This is, I'm going to teach a little bit, but there is a, we're going to close with a strong prophetic sense of what God is saying to us at the close of this series And the close of our fasting. And just so many powerful things. There's such a great anointing happening just among our church family. Just every time we gather. And I want to make sure that all of you are with us on Wednesday night. This Wednesday, it's it's just beautiful that we're running out of parking on Wednesday nights. And I just commend you for doing that. We've got to be in the house of God. As the world's trying to squeeze, squeeze us into its mold. The, the public schools are trying to indoctrinate our children. And I don't make any bones about that. That's what they're trying to do. They don't even know why they're trying to do it. But we do. The whole world is under a spell. It has been since the garden. It's just more in our face now than it has been. It's not covert anymore. It's bold and demonic. And they don't, they're trying to back us into a corner. And being here on Wednesday nights is so critical. This Wednesday night, I'm going to be speaking to the youth group. and I'm going to be doing this a few times between now and Memorial Day. And I feel really strongly about me spending time with them and those adult volunteers in support of Pastor Ben. Because God's, we're not going to let them just try and survive this thing without some extra help. And I'm thankful for Pastor Ben And all of those volunteers, but as the pastor, I feel like God would have me to impart some stuff to them. And so I'm going to be doing that. And then I just, Pastor Carter Conlon, if you don't know him, I cannot beg you enough. Please be here next Saturday from 9 to 12. We'll be doing a prayer summit. He'll be teaching two different sessions. This is a world-class, amazing spiritual leader And I beg you, next Saturday is typically when we do our monthly Ironman breakfast. We have foregone that this month because we want all men to be with us for that prayer summit. And I, I just, I beg you, and you high schoolers and middle schoolers, I beg all of you to be here. Jesus said, my house, my father's house will be called a house of prayer. What sweet Judith and Banks were talking about. It's not anything that's been done by might or power. It's not, as Banks said, it's not me or Pastor Munn or Pastor Arbel. It is in response to prayer. And if I could, I'd twist your arm, beg you, manipulate you, do whatever I can to get you here as we keep our focus on prayer. That's this Saturday. And um, it's miraculous that we're able to get him a little church like ours. But God spoke to him about coming here. This is the guy who took over for David Wilkerson. He's no lightweight. He's a Canadian. God's done a great work in his life. And the Lord spoke to me that he would be as the, listen, as the angels came and attended to Jesus at the end of his fast. Carter Conlon is coming as an angel, a messenger from the Lord is what the word angel means. And he's going to breathe Bring an impartation for a greater call of the ministry of prayer in this church. And I I beg you, if you can be here, please be here. Now, it's a marathon. I've run a marathon before. I ran one, 1999. I still run long distance, but um, I've only run one marathon because it nearly killed me. And I know some of you guys, I know Trudy, she runs like a marathon a week or something. Or sometimes two in one day, stuff like that. Dr. Trudy Simmons, the Christian view. She has a different Christian view than I have. But God is, uh, I'm sure she could take the microphone and talk to you about the difference in a sprint and a marathon. For me at mile 23, I, I, had, I got a stress fracture. and We had raised money for our church and our ministry and there was money for every mile that I ran. And when, that, when I got that stress fracture, third, I'd never had a broken bone in my body. In my third metatarsal, my right foot, I could barely put any weight on it. But there was money on the line. And so I finished all 26.2 miles. And I'll tell you, a marathon is different. I'd run another marathon, but just training for them. You got to run 17 miles You got to run 20-mile training, get up to 21 or depending on what training regimen you take, 22 miles a few times in preparation. Candice will tell you, she's like, no, no more marathons. Go back to playing golf. At least when you came off the golf course, you were refreshed. You come off a 21-mile run and you're like dead. You know, so no more marathons. The whole family paid the price. And this is a marathon. So we've got to learn how to endure. And long-distance athletes can talk to you about, man, you've you got to pace yourself. You've got to eat the right stuff. Dehydration can kill you. And it's amazing what happens in a marathon. Brothers and sisters, this is not a sprint. This is not mid middle distance. It's not an 800 meter. It's a marathon. And so we approach it. Therefore, we don't have an option. Well, I'll run 50, miles, 50 meters. Then I'll run, if i get a break in the Lord and have a little personal renewal and I'm better. I'll run 50 more. No, we have to learn to endure. We have to learn to endure. The second thing our text tells us, listen to me, keep your eyes on Jesus. And I want to encourage everybody. Don't keep your eyes on your friends. Don't keep your eyes on the Republican Party or Democratic Party. Don't keep your eyes on Fox. Don't keep your eyes on your pastor. Your friends, you need them. We're all called to be a part of a body of believers. We need accountability. But how many of you know the finest people in your life can let you down And if your faith is built on them, you're you're not going to be able to endure for the long haul. And I know the responsibilities for me as a spiritual leader. You know, that I I answer to a different level spiritually, Paul told Timothy. And I'm going to do everything I can. But we have a, a major problem in our country. A lot of pastors, it's called the Messiah complex. There's a lot of pastors, you know, most pastors enjoy feeling needed. And most pastors get adrenaline off of meeting everybody's needs and being the one that everybody needs to come and pray the prayer. And that was me in my earlier days, and ministry nearly killed me. And I'm delivered from the Messiah complex. And don't you try and get me back into it. If you do, you will be disappointed and I will be frustrated. And all over our nation, we have a hero vacuum. And so many churches have pastors that are pseudo-celebrities. And the, the list of, of high-profile pastors since Christmas that have fallen is, is more than I can count on one hand. And what's happening, the collateral damage, what happens to our faith? And so we don't set our eye, We keep Pastor Chuck accountable. Ephesians 5, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But I am not Christ. I am not the Savior. I am not the Messiah. So we keep our eyes on Jesus. That's why sometimes at the end of worship, I ask everybody back off the stage. We're going to worship Jesus. And I stand over here out of the lights, off of the stage, praying that each one of us will get that message. It's about exalting Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Don't let Chuck Swindoll or, or uh, anybody, Stephen Furtick, don't let me or anybody become your Messiah. We keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and prophet and he will never let us down. Come on, if you're gonna clap, let's praise the name of Jesus. And thirdly, I just want to revisit these things. We we commit and understand that Christianity, one of the things I pray for my children, that they'll know the power of prayer, the truth of your word, pleasure of your will, the joy of sacrifice. Christianity is about taking up a cross And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage everybody. I'm going to stretch you at this church. We're going to do the hard stuff with a smile on our face. Can I get a witness? Because it's worth it. It's what we're called to do. And we walk in the spirit and not the flesh. So we don't think of ways to keep our flesh happy and comfortable. We do that stuff that our flesh doesn't want to do because it's worth it. So we deny our flesh, we take up our cross and we become the kind of people that walk in intimacy with the Lord, willing to do the hard stuff with a smile on our face for the joy that's set before us because we begin to experience heaven on earth. We begin to experience the supernatural. And I call you to that. Don't just, man, that pastor jug, he, he's high octane. I like that. No, you need to be high octane. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and begin to walk in intimacy. And before you know it, you'll start seeing the supernatural happening happening around you. Your prayers will start being answered. I was listening, it's taking a guy like Jordan Peterson right now. I listened to his most recent deal last night. He said, I'm no longer an atheist. This guy has tens of millions of, he's become like a cultural prophet with tears in his eyes. He said, if you Christians, if we begin to take this seriously, we will go, wow, we've got to save our friends from hell. And number two, he would say, Jordan Peterson, he said, I don't think Christians realize how amazing their God is. If you could walk in intimacy for 20 minutes, you would never want another drug you would, you would gladly go, I'm not giving in to my flesh. I want Jesus. And you'll begin to see the supernatural. Listen to me. There's not one person in this room, including this one, that has even touched in their imagination the beauty of all that God has for us. Not one person in here. But his word keeps calling us to it. Are y'all out there this morning? And so we do the hard stuff. Because that's what the word tells us to do. And then you get the joy, what the word promises it will deliver. Now, this morning, I want to, speaking of storms, I want us to take a look at what I think is the, the central character in the New Testament for becoming who they were supposed to be Peter, the rock. Cephas in Greek Petra Aramaic Cephas it means the rock and we're going to take a look at his his character and we're going to see some things that are amazing for us and the first is this remember John everybody look right here John sees Jesus John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says behold this is a big word pay attention Red letter day. Ding, 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 ding. Everybody focus. There's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Something happened. Two of John's disciples beheld Jesus and they left John the Baptist and went and followed Jesus. One of them was Andrew. And the Bible says they stayed with him for about four hours. And Jesus asked, what do you want? They said, we want to be with you. And they stayed with him through that night. The next morning, Andrew wakes up, and we see in John chapter four, uh, chapter one, verse forty-one. So this is the seat, this is the brother of Peter, Simon. And here's what he says: Andrew went to find his brother. How many of you, when when you when you get one night with Jesus, you experience intimacy, you want to go get your family, you want to go get your friends and tell them, y'all are not out there this morning. Then you need to get with Jesus, because when it happens. You want everybody to experience what you've experienced. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Please get this picture. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John. This is, this is not, hey, man, you're Simon. I know your dad, John. You're going to be a rock. One. This is Jesus. I don't have time to break down the Greek. This is Jesus. Have you ever had someone look through you and you're like, your spirit is speaking to my, that, I'm I'm uncomfortable. Back up. Jesus, you're Simon, son of John. The word means, Simon means, he has heard. Jesus, you've heard. You've been told. How many of you have a kid, their name is Simon? You've told them over and over and over. It hadn't registered yet, but you've told them. And he goes, you're the son of John. He didn't even give the last name. Simon Barjona. There's there's no doubt dozens, if not hundreds, of dads named John. And, and Jesus goes, I know who you're Simon, son of John. But you're going to be Petra. I'm not even I'm looking at my wife because I think. I only want to look at her. I don't want to look at another man right now this way or a woman. You will be a rock. Peter, we read that. Peter had that registered on his hard drive. But you will be called. Did you? We have one of our sons' name is William Stone. Ramsey. We call him Stone. His, his car tag is Boulder. And, and we've told him he's named after her grandfather, the father of 27 natural children. And we go, Stone, if you don't name your first son William Stone Jr., I don't even know. You're sick. To, that's the coolest name ever Stone. And we, that's her mother's maiden name stone and we love that and so we're going to, all of our children have names that mean something in our family because names are important and jesus said your parents named you simon but i'm i'm going to rename you petra and you got to understand the qualities of a the the traits of a rock this isn't a pebble this isn't a a little rock this is A bolder, Jesus. You're going to be hard, reliable, immovable, foundational. That's what Jesus was saying. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Jesus, do you not know who you, oh, I know who I'm speaking to. And I know what we're getting ready to go through with this knucklehead. Simon Peter is the favorite character in the Bible for many of us because we so relate to him. He has one great day, and he's the star of the show, the role model. And then the next, he's the goat, not the greatest of all time. He is the embarrassing goat. And we relate to that. How many of you have great days where you are like Jesus, Jr., and then you have moments the next morning, you are Lucifer reincarnated, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you're like, and, and it's inter- internally, it's hard to deal with, and we relate to Simon Peter We see the process in his life of how one, listen, it becomes steady and strong. We see that process of how a person can go from distracted to focused and stable and a real legitimate disciple. You may feel this morning a little less about your ability to ever be what I'm talking about. There are people here who go, I don't know if I'll ever be steady, strong, focused, especially during stormy times, Pastor Chuck. Hear what God says to you this morning. Take a look at Simon, who becomes Petra. Everyone loves Simon Peter. One of those great moments is in Matthew 16, when Jesus says, and it's the pinnacle of the Gospel of Matthew. It's the point where, okay, the moment of truth, And he says to everybody, to the disciples, who do people say I am? They say, some think you're John the Baptist or Elijah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus gets personal. One of those, he looks intently. Maybe he caught Peter's eyes again. He said, but who do you say I am? And Peter blurted it out. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen, what what does Jesus say? Flesh and blood has not helped you figure. Your Sunday school teacher... Didn't help you figure that out. And then he says, thou art Peter. I said you're Simon, but you will be Peter. That's a sign of Petra. Matthew 16, verse 16. Seven verses later, Jesus says, listen, they're getting ready to come and arrest me. They're going to take me and try me and then they're going to crucify me. And Petra goes, "Oh no, they're not! I'll step in the way. I'll go to prison for you. No way, we're not going to. That'll mess up the whole. No, stop talking like that, Jesus." And Jesus said, "Get behind me, not Petra. Satan, you're you're more concerned with the things of man than the things of God. Now, how many of us? Oftentimes, that's like ninety percent of the time for me. I'll just confess." I'm more concerned, I look at it more from an earthly standpoint than a godly standpoint. Anybody relate with Simon Peter right here? Jesus, but you said he'd be a rock. He's often speaking before he thinks. He's impetuous. Yeah, he gets out of the boat and walks on waters, but he takes his eye off of Jesus. He's the star and then he's the goat. But at least he had faith to get out. Then Judas brings the soldiers to betray Jesus, and and Peter can see what's getting. Right there. This is a hostile crowd, and Judas betrays Judas. Judas betrays him, and Peter does what me and you would have done. We pulled out our so we just start swinging and chops one of the ears off. Thank God Peter didn't have a Facebook account. Amen. He would no. He would have all constantly being having to take down posts and. Delete comments and, ah, pull that Twitter, that tweet back. That's what Peter would be, just like some of (laughs) y'all. Jesus bends over and takes the ear and puts it, like, puts it back on. Like, not puts it back on. Puts it back on. Peter had to go. Simon was going. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Peter goes, "You can wash their feet, but you ain't washing my feet. I'm not war- that's too that, that's too humbling." And Jesus says, "If you don't let me wash your feet, then we're not in relationship." And then that that's beautiful, Peter. You're humble. And then Peter goes, "Oh shoot." i going to stop right there. <laughs> then wash my whole body. Jesus says, your whole body, you're missing the point. My word, I've already washed your body. You're mine. I'm setting you an example by being a servant. Peter, you got to love him. He's the guy who putts. He's got a two foot putt and he, he hits it right over the hole. Now he's got an eight-foot putt going back. Y'all tracking with me? He was right on line, just too fast. That's Peter. He's at the Last Supper. He commits to standing for Jesus, and he is convinced, I will never deny you. And that night, he's having a moment like you and I have. Jesus... Why did you ever say, I'll be a rock? Me? Me? Jesus, the word, spoke to me, James 1. It's a mirror. I see me and what you're saying to me about what you're going to make me. A rock. On Resurrection Sunday, he hears a rumor that Jesus' body is no longer in the tomb but it's a it's a sketchy woman Mary Magdalene who said hey i went to the garden and he's not what did peter do john let's go we're not going to take her word but that's too big of a rumor to just ignore it and they go and john runs ahead and peter gets there and he realizes he they, peter goes first and john was writing the gospel this is The Bible is so awesome and so real and divine. The, John in his gospel keeps referring to him like Daryl Honeycutter. And the disciple that Jesus loved, me, said, and John, instead of saying, I outran Peter, he says, the disciple that Jesus loved beat Peter there. But Peter got there and went in. Then John went in, and they discovered that the tomb was empty. During the transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, Jesus takes them up on the mountain. And you'll remember, this is so you and me. There's Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. And what does Peter say? This is awesome. That's what he said. He says, Lord, comma, this is a moment of revelation. Lord, comma. It is good that we're here. This read your Bible, it says that. And then he says, if you want, I'll build us a church. We can stay right here. Let's, let's monumentalize this place. Y'all getting what I'm saying? Jesus, like, forget those other nine. It's this is heaven. This is Simon. On the day of Pentecost, though, Peter takes the microphone and preaches like a man from another world, because he was. He had just been freshly baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. How did this happen? Well, it started with the first time he saw Jesus, or better yet, the first time Jesus saw him. Prophetically, please listen carefully. I'm dropping some nuggets. Prophetically, Jesus called out Simon's greatness because that's what the Word does. The Word always sees a rock steady in the storm and it calls it out and calls you up to that. Peter is so transformed in his journey with Jesus, that the scriptures tell us when Peter became a martyr, he was such a strong rock. He said, if you're going to crucify me, I don't deserve to be crucified like Jesus. Turn me upside down. And they did. And he was crucified upside down. The question for us this morning is, How do you go from, I've heard that, I've been told, Simon, yeah, my dad, he's like everybody else's dad, John. How do you go from that to being a rock? That's the question. How do we go from being shook up in this crazy, chaotic season to being a lighthouse, an outpost, a place of faith and not fear, a place of hope and life and joy. How do we do that? It happens so profoundly for Peter. That listen to me. I've got a little more time left, but listen, I'm getting- we've we've come all the way to say what I'm gonna say in the next few minutes. And may your ears be open to prophetically hear God speaking directly to you. Peter, in his first epistle, he's writing to Jews now, again, who are experiencing tremendous persecution. And he opens up in in chapter one, I'm sorry, in chapter two, chapter one, there's a lot of beautiful stuff I'm going to skip over. That he calls out that Jesus being our cornerstone. In the next book, he says that we are partakers of the divine nature. Everything we need for life and godliness We've been given. Peter says, you have divine DNA in you. Even though you're Simon shifting, inconsiderate, you're not who you want. What he calls out of you, it's in you, and you're gonna get there. Chapter two, verse 15, or five, he says to those people, you also, he has just said, Jesus, the chief cornerstone. And then he says, Jesus, the chief... You are like him. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual. Say this last word with me. He who hears these words and puts them into practice, a wise man who builds his on the. And Peter's now saying, like Jesus, you, living stones, are being built. Whew, oh God. In this room, you right now, brothers and sisters, a spiritual house. Revelation chapter 3, God calls out, and what we see, Jack Hayford calls it the pillar principle. The Peter principle in corporate America is when that man or woman rises to a level that they're not qualified for, and the job is too great for them, but they get the pay, the title, the corner office, the position. And then the pillar principle is just the opposite. He qualifies you and takes you to a place in the kingdom, in your spiritual life that you never dreamt you would ever be. And he's given you the capacity to pull it off. In Revelation chapter three, the writing is going to the church at Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, brotherly love. And look what, The word says, this is Jesus speaking, because you have kept my command to, come on everybody, focus, you've kept my command, you're enduring, you're overcoming, you're persevering, because you did that, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Are y'all picking up, listen, are you? How many of you got your prophetic, not shoulders up only this morning, but your head and your heart are going, speak to me, Jesus. Speak to me, word of God. This is what the word says. Because you kept the command to persevere. I will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test the. Verse 11, behold, I come quickly. Now look at verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him or her a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall not be shifting, unpredictable, in and out. He shall go out no more. <gasps> he who overcomes. How many of you are gonna overcome if it kills you? And it's going to. Jesus says, I will make him or her a pillar. And they will not go in and out anymore he who overcomes speaks to he who walks in faith. I will make speaks to, listen, everybody, Look, this takes us all the way back to Genesis 12 where God says, Abraham, I will make your name great. I will make you into nations. This is God saying, if you walk with me, I will do the creative work. Not, oh, that's cute, that's so creative. No, I will create you into nations. I will make your, your name great, speaking of character. When we, when we see here, he who overcomes, through faith, we're going to overcome. And I say, I call it out in this church. We're going to overcome. I don't know what's coming, but I know we're going to overcome it. We're going to come up over it. Can somebody say Amen. amen. Thirdly, I will make You into a pillar in the house of God. Every one of you. You, Joanne. You, Joel. A pillar in the church. Something that can hold it together. Immovable. Can hold other people up. A pillar in the house of God. Now... Oh Lord Jesus, I've got half a page, no, a quarter page of notes. How many of you are still listening? I'm going to say amen in just a few minutes and you're going to have to go out and have your altar service out in the parking lot, but please get your car out of here quickly so we can get the other people in. The best picture of this is there's a series of things that happened to Peter over and over. One of the most beautiful ones is in John 20, they go to the tomb, and they go, wow, he's not here. Please listen. And they run back and tell the disciples, Peter and John. And Thomas goes, I I don't believe it. In John chapter 20, we see this. And then Thomas isn't with them. The disciples are together, and Jesus appears. This is why you always go to church. You never know when Jesus is going to appear. And the Bible says that they were hiding because they were afraid. Watch this picture. And Jesus appears. Who is Jesus? The Word. We're hiding in fear. The Word comes forth, and the Word says to us, Peace, be still. Remember the life-giving, life-saving power of the Word from week one. Come. Okay. The Word shows up in a place of fear and says peace. What's the next thing the Bible says? It says they were overjoyed. I wish I had five minutes to unpack. Everybody get it. The Word comes. The sermon says peace. And then joy comes. Y'all out there? Then the next chapter... It's eight days later after the resurrection. And they're like, Jesus, you show up and then you disappear. I could preach for 20 minutes on that. Sometimes God hides because he won't take him. Sometimes it's not even the, the challenge or the dark spot you're in. It's what God's doing in your life. He's teaching you to want him. And what Peter does is he goes back to being Simon. It's it's stormy. You were crucified. Then you resurrected. Then you appeared and gave us peace. You breathed on us and said, as the Father sent me, I send you. Then you said, receive the Spirit. And then, poof, you're gone again. I can't figure you out, God. I'm going fishing. That's what Peter said. What is that? That's him going, I just want things to be normal again. And the other disciple said, There were five others with him. They said, we're going to. This is so beautiful. They fish all night. And then Jesus comes on the shore and says, have y'all caught anything? How many of you know the stupidest question to a fisherman, especially when they haven't caught anything is, have you caught anything? Did you catch anything? What do we say? No, but I had, there were like three that big that they, they just got away as I was reeling them in, you know? Jesus, you know if they've caught anything or not. He comes like a ghost sometimes and engages us covertly. And so you've got some fishermen who have just come out of a storm, a tough weekend of resurrection, appear, disappear. We go back to our normal, and we're frustrated. It's the worst round of golf. We fished all night and didn't catch it. We are professional fishermen. We follow Jesus around, and now we've forgotten everything about how to catch fish. No, we haven't. Thank you. Why don't you throw your net over on the right side? Why don't you shut up? This is, this is in the Bible, John 21. And the Bible says, I mean, I could say a whole lot about being on the left side and on the right side. And they, they threw it on the right side. And they, I said I could, but I'm not going to. And I didn't. And they threw the net over on the right side. And, and the fishermen on the boat couldn't get the net in. Here's the word to you. I wish I had 20 more minutes. I know I, I have a two-hour anointing. I'm sorry. But some of y'all need it. Your five-minute sermonette, it ain't gonna fix you. West, the Lord is speaking to you, brother. Hear me. And then one of the disciples, John, goes, Peter, that's Jesus. They had been told by him before, we fished all night. We ca- he said, push out just a, just a little deep. You're close, but so far away. Push out just a little further, and then they had they almost capsized. John goes, that, "That's Jesus." What does Peter do? He goes, "I'm, sw- you got to love this guy. I'm swimming to j- y'all. Bring in the fish. I here's what he's saying." His presence is more important than our catch. I'm going to be with him. And he gets over there, and what happens? Jesus is preparing the stove, the oven for the fish. They bring them in and count them, 153 fish. And he he fixes them breakfast. It's times like this that Peter goes, that's the Christ. I am a rock. Here's the word. Somebody hear me. You're so close, but so far away. How wide was the boat back then? It couldn't be any more than 12 feet. Jesus is saying to you, the word is saying to you this morning, peace be still. The word is saying to you this morning, you're right over the target, and you're frustrated. Hear my voice. You're right over the target. Dude, just somebody's here this morning and your breakthrough is just across the boat. It's something you've heard. He has heard. I've been told over and over. Just take your net Over on the other side, and you're going to bring in a catch, and you're going to have another revelation of who Jesus is in the storm, and in your frustrated, chaotic, dark storm, he is making some of you a pillar in the church. Ministry is going to be built in you and on you. It's that kind of faith. I just, I don't mean to call people out, but I just see some of you, your faces are shining like like an angel. Wes, you are so close in Jesus' name. Joel, you are so, Joanne, I just, I just, and there are many others in this room. If God is speaking to you, we don't have time to play. Stand up right now and just say, God is speaking to me. I'm gonna cast out on the other side of the boat. Come on, stand up in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Steady in the storm. Steady in this storm. We're gonna prosper in this storm. We're gonna bring in a catch in this storm in the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that calls out the greatness in us, the destiny in us. Oh, I sent you, Holy Spirit, in this room. Come on, brothers and sisters, just yield yourself. Just say, I have heard, and not only am I heard, I'm going to receive and become a Petra, a Cephas, a rock, a boulder, a pillar in this house, in the kingdom, in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father. We've heard your word. We're gonna put them into practice. We're right over the, we're so close, but yet so far, but when we hear your word, that so far away brings in the harvest that transforms us in the name of Jesus. Is Pastor Money in this service I'm not sure if he's here yet. I I have a, he'll probably be in the next service. We hear all this talk about what God's done in the last four or five years. Let me tell you, somebody named Don Munn for 34 years overcame and endured and carried the baton and finished his race. And here we stand because he overcame. Are y'all out there? And God has made him. All of this is because through his ministry, God kept this place together and we honor that, and his ceiling becomes our floor, and my floor will become his and your ceiling. Are y'all out there in the name of Jesus? Come on, I I gotta let you go in just a second. When I do, you gotta get out of here. But just lift your hands right here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I call out every Petra, every rock, every Cephas, every boulder. Some of us have days where we're like, you're the Christ, and then we're Satan. And we've got, we're more concerned about our stuff than your stuff. But you are right now making us a pillar. And I just speak, even the ones that you, over Joel, over Joanne, over Wes, I just speak out, Father God, their closeness right over the target. Their breakthrough is coming in the name of Jesus. Over every anxiety stricken, ev- over every depression, over every heartbreak. Over every person that still carries that wound and that bruise from divorce, I speak life. You're making them a pillar in the temple of our God and we praise you for it. Come on, raise your hand if you're an overcomer. Right now in the name of Jesus, just say it. I am an overcomer. I don't know what's coming, but I'm gonna come up over it in the name of Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May he lift up His countenance on you and give you His peace. Come on, say it out loud this morning. Let's declare it. Say, I receive it in Jesus' name. God bless you. I love you. Have a good...